Um, we have what we like to call a greeter uh, kind of thing going on around here. If you would like to, before you come to a service, show up a little early and greet people when they come in and say, Hi, how you doing? It's really simple. You just have to be able to speak. So if you want to, be a greeter. In the back, there's a sign-up, and it says, Greeter. And you sign up on that. We'll put you on a little schedule, like maybe once a month. You just come a little early to the service you come to. Just shake people's hands, say hi as they come in, so everybody gets said hi to you. Because nobody should come in and out of this place without somebody actually talking to them. Right? Okay. So I'm going to hit a couple things real quick. First is um, softball. Uh, the co-ed team did not win this week. Because we didn't play. If we play, we would have won. Because we're awesome. The guys team, the guys team played, they won 23 to 8. Yeah. So, small groups. Uh, if, uh, if small groups, again, are very important to us. I don't just come up here to talk about softball every week. So if you would like to be in a small group on more information about small groups, right in the back you can sign up, uh, and one of the guys who in charge of small groups will give you a call, talk to you about them, try and get you in a small group. It can even be a softball small group, but we'll try and get you in because so, I was going to say softball is because small groups are very important uh, at all. Uh, last week, if you came, we had a bunch of lilies on the stage. Um, those were donated by a place called Clearwater Nursery. Now, Clearwater doesn't sell to the public. They sell to different stores, Costco, Vons, places like that. So if, if you ever go and you're buying some flowers and there's a little tag on it that says Clearwater, and you have like a choice between that and something else, buy the Clearwater because they give us free stuff. So <laughs> props, you got to support where it goes, you know. Um, lastly, i got a little bit of business I'm going to tell you guys about before we get started. So, And I wrote this down so I wouldn't just be... You know, talking and not making sense. So I wrote this down, so I'll give this to you. Uh, at Element, we have a vision that we are what is called a missional church. We believe that every single person should be, uh, who calls themselves a believer should live their lives missionally wherever they are. Uh, you dress and talk and act a certain way because of the culture in which you were raised. And so you connect to certain people. And so wherever you are, everybody is a missionary who believes in Christ, wherever you are. That doesn't mean you stand on top of your cubicle or desk at work going, repent sinners. It means that you live your life in such a way that the world knows who Jesus is by your actions, by what you do. We believe that that is what we are supposed to be about. And our desire is that that would be taught and modeled to children all the way through adults. And we have some great volunteers who help out in the children's department, some people who have done some amazing things, uh, like Patty and Nicole and Carrie Foster, even Sam right in front of me right here. She coordinates the teachers for the elementary. Uh, but, you know, what those volunteers know is that, and we have an eldership at Element have known for a while, is that we need the children's ministry to have a cohesive whole. So we, as your elders and the board at Element, have taken a huge step, and we've offered a lady named Christy Mirangi a job uh, as overseeing our children's ministry. Uh, by default, we also get her husband, Eric, who is a really cool dude. And Christy says words like super-duper, which is... <laughs> Which is why I guess she connects with kids, because it's great. Um, now, she accepted the offer. She's going to start on May 11th, and her job has a couple different facets to it. Because, as you know, at Element, we don't do things like a lot of other people do in other churches. Uh, so she will obviously put together a cohesive children's program that coincides with Element's visions. And many times, what they will learn in here is will coincide uh, what you're learning here. They will learn back there, and you guys can go home as families and actually talk about the things that you were learning together. So it's like, oh, wow, we are encouraging parents to talk to their kids. 
Imagine that, you know, that, that's kind of cool. Uh, James and I and her will actually work together to develop a plan so children will go from birth through high school to learn about Jesus as well as how to live missionally because we want everybody to live and breathe the mission that we're on. In conjunction with the elders, she will work with us to also develop a parent ministry because that is one of the things our culture desperately needs. Uh, parents need to learn how to talk and raise and, and with their kids. And so this will also in the end lead to some midweek stuff. For all of you who've been asking for some midweek stuff, there'll be some focused classes for adults and kids. Uh, And I tell you this so that you can welcome her when she gets here, but also to let you know that this is a huge leap for us financially. We we have a very small budget. (laughs) We don't have a lot of money. We're kind of poor around here uh, because we're in an old car dealership, apparently. So, you know, uh, that's how it goes. Uh, So I'm I'm not twisting your arm for money, but what I am asking you is if you call Element Home and you've been contemplating starting to give financially and you haven't yet, we simply ask that you would start. Uh, giving is to be scripturally, it is joyfully, generously, consistently, and sacrificially. Uh, if you ever have a question about how any of the money is spent that comes into Element, you can ask uh, any one of our elders. Tom's back there in the back. Uh, you can ask any guys on the board, any other board members in here at this point. I don't know where they're. Well, I guess they come to the first and the third service, so that's great. Okay. But, <laughs> I'm not answering that question. Okay, so uh, you can talk to any of us. We are open and transparent about anything that you would like to know, so just come and talk with us. Uh, We want to effectively use what is offered uh, monetarily-wise to not not only reach the community and the world around us as best we can, but also to equip you to be the best ministers for the gospel that you can be as well. Are you with me? All right. I watched the Chronicles of Riddick last week, and it's the coolest movie. Uh, and, and he always says, are you with me, Kira? Are you? So apparently you haven't seen it. So, <laughs> Great, great. All right, why don't you stand with me, read God's Word. This is Luke chapter 7. This is verses 46 and 47. Jesus says, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Let's pray. Father, this morning I do ask that you would teach us to love you much because we have been forgiven much. And I ask that we would be people who see that, uh, the depth of the forgiveness that you have offered to us. And we would in turn live our lives so that people would see the love and forgiveness that you offer them as well. Amen. Have a seat. Okay. If you have a Bible, open to John chapter 12. Uh, John is a book, I think, of theology. Uh, It's what we call high Christology, meaning a high esteem for Christ. It is very personal. It has a devotional tone to it. Uh, You will see that Jesus is God, and by faith in him we can have eternal life. But in addition to that, you also see some very unique portraits of who Jesus Christ is, how he interacts with people. You haven't seen him with the man born blind. You see him with the woman at the well. You see the man who wanted his child healed. You even see the invalid whiner who wants to get Jesus in trouble, and yet Jesus still acts graciously with him. And you will see these, these portraits of his compassion and his love, and today is no different than any of those others. Today, Jesus interacts with a woman named Mary. If you are very artsy and you think in pictures at the end, hopefully we'll pull this whole thing together. Wow! You know what that was? That was somebody's kid in the nursery. <laughs> wow! 
I just think it's funny. Uh, some of you are artsy today. You're going to get a picture as we pull this together at the end of some stuff. So John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover. And I'm going to stop right there. I know I'm like a kid that's learned how to drive a stick shift. I start and I stop and I start and I stop. But you've got to go with me here. Uh, one of the reasons we believe that Jesus' ministry lasted three years is that he celebrated three Passovers in John's gospel. You see it in John chapter 2 and John chapter 6. And then here again. Now, Passover is a celebration that uh, the, the, the Jews, the Hebrews, they were in slavery in Egypt. And so God comes to a guy named Moses, and he says, Moses, you're going to go in there, you're going to tell the most powerful man in the world to let my people go so they can have freedom. And the purpose of that freedom was to worship God. So Moses goes in. I'm giving you the, the Cliff Notes version here. Even more, I'm not giving the Cliff Notes, Cliff Notes version. So you go in, and he goes in, and he, and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And so Moses goes, what are we going to do? And God says, I'm going to send a succession of plagues. And so a succession of plagues comes upon Egypt, one worse than the other. And the very last one is a plague that was the death of the firstborn, where God says he's, an angel is going to come through, and it's going to take out and kill every firstborn child. And so what God says for the Israelites is take the blood of a lamb, you put that on your doorposts and doorframes, and then that, that avenging angel would pass over your home, essentially leading these families who believed in this, the blood of the lamb. He brought them through to freedom and grace and love, and he saw, brought their family from death into life. has a lot of connotations for the Passover. So this happens, and Moses leads the people out, and it's... Yay, and, and all that kind of stuff. So the Jews celebrate that year after year after year, the whole idea of the Passover, that God passed over them with this blood of the Lamb. Now, Jesus realizes he is this Passover Lamb for all people. And so you get a great intensity in Jesus' life at this point. So it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Two weeks ago, we saw this. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was stinky in the grave. He was gone. Jesus calls him back to life. Here a dinner was given in his honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And they were having a party because, again, Lazarus is back from the dead, and they're all very happy about that. And you now see how these three people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, all worship and respond to Jesus, but they are distinct in how they do that. It is great, I think, that God gives principles for us. You know, the things that, that we believe, but our methods of loving God back are varied and distinct. Martha shows her love for Jesus by doing things, by being active. Martha's portraits in Scripture are always active. She is always doing something. Mary is the opposite. She likes to sit. She likes to contemplate. Lazarus is apparently the strong, silent type because all through Scripture, he never says a word. Maybe it's because he's got these two sisters and maybe they talk all the time and he can't get a word in. I don't know, you know. But Lazarus, he's just, he's a regular dude. He doesn't have much to say, but his love is borne out by his witness of what Jesus has done in his life. Martha has action. Mary has devotion. Uh, Lazarus has his testimony and all show their gratitude and love for Christ. Now, Jesus spent a lot of time in their home. Early writers, again, will tell you that this is probably like Jesus' surrogate home. And all three of these people are average. They're not political leaders. They're not overly influential. They are just normal people. But they become extraordinary because of their connection and love for Christ. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha all become part of our church heritage and our church history because they simply opened their home to Jesus. And they became his close friends, and they became part of our history. So you had this meal that's going on. The men would recline at couches, which is like every man's dream. You, you eat on a couch, and you fall asleep. You know, that's, that's what we want to do. Apparently, ladies, this is biblical, okay? <laughs> God created man to eat on the couch and fall asleep, just like Jesus. 
Verse 3. It's, it's, I got to go with what's there. Verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I think in all scripture, when you see this at the end and we pull it all together, I don't think there's any greater picture of love and devotion than this. Luke's gospel shows Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening and learning. In John, in John 11, what you see is Mary throws herself at Jesus' feet in mourning. And again, now she is here on her knees at Jesus' feet, anointing his feet. Mary is always humble. Mary is always at the feet of Christ. The perfume that is used is probably by all accounts uh, out of India. It is very expensive. It was used to actually anoint kings. And so it is tremendously expensive. Uh, last year, I saved the better part of a year to buy a new TV because that's one of my inalienable rights as an American. Apparently, I, I want a cool TV. You know, so I saved the better. But imagine you save the better part of a year to buy something, and then you give it away. Now, in Santa Maria, uh, the average income, we do have a college that kind of skews the numbers a bit. The average income in Santa Maria is $36,541 a year. What Mary puts on Jesus' feet is the equivalent of a year's wages. So imagine, how long would it take you to save $36,000? Yeah. And imagine you actually do it, and then you dump it on Jesus' feet, or you just give it away. That's what's taking place here. On top of that, uh, washing feet is the lowest of the low jobs of slaves. Open-toed shoes, dirty highways, bunions, blisters. The worst job is cleaning a sneaky dude's feet. Okay? And so Mary here takes the job of the lowest of a low. And if this is the same event recorded in Luke 7, she may have started with this perfume on his head and his beard and ended at his feet. Mary only has regard for Jesus. In this culture, young girls would run around with their hair down. But when a girl became a woman, they would put their hair up. And that would be considered their glory. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about a woman's hair being her glory. This is a cultural thing that they are talking about. So if you don't have long hair, it's okay. In this culture, women would have long hair and they would put them up in buns up here. Upon her wedding night, a woman would go into her bridal chamber and her husband would take her hair out of the bun. It would fall to her shoulders, down her back, and her husband would see her in her glory. You know what's funny? I swear the first six months we were here, maybe one or two. It's like the last month, it's like every week. People need to stop getting hurt. On Sunday mornings, that's all I'm saying. So they'd pull her hair out, it would fall, and the husband would see her for the first time in her glory, as no man had ever seen her in her glory. And so when Mary cleans Jesus' feet, she does what is culturally taboo. She lets her hair down. She has not violated scripture, she's not violated God's command, but she lets her glory down to clean the feet of Jesus. This is an act of humility. She is humbled. The room is filled with people. She was only concerned about how she could bless Jesus. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Usually this fragrance would be diluted with water, but here it's not. She dumps the whole thing out. And it is expensive and it is very strong smelling. And if you have allergies, this would be a nightmare for you in this room. But you know at this point trouble's going to be coming. You know, trouble's got to come somewhere. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now Judas is one of the disciples, and the first thing he does is criticize. He criticizes this. Mary and Martha are throwing a party. They're paying for it all. All Judas can do is criticize publicly. If you've been in a church for any length of time, you will find this person because they're always around somewhere. You spent too much, you spent too little, you preached too long, you preached too short, you did too little, you did too much, whatever. They're always around to criticize. Mary's giving, Judas is doing nothing. Judas is in charge of the money. 
And I think we'll be typically tempted to sin where we think we feel we are the strongest. King David, he is a man of passion, and he takes another man's wife. Solomon has great wisdom. He becomes a fool. Peter had great boldness, and he rebukes Jesus to his face. Judas is, is the bookkeeper, essentially, for the disciples, which I think is also funny because it wasn't Matthew who was a tax collector because apparently you can't trust IRS guys with money. Ooh, okay, so, so Judas is a bookkeeper. means he is probably good with money, but his temptation comes in the form of money. He eventually betrays Christ for money. I mean, he, he says, well, we could have sold that and we could have fed some poor people. It sounds so holy and righteous, but don't get sucked into his game because he's not. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He doesn't want that to give money to the poor. He wants to take it. Judas doesn't care about the poor. Judas cares about Judas. He's in it for his own glory. He's a thief. Some people will say things like, oh, well, Judas was a believer who lost his salvation, or he's a godly guy who, who lost his way and someone who loved the Lord but tanked in the end. Don't be a Judas. That's not true. Judas is like many people today where they have two characters. They have public and they have private. You know, the public, it goes to church, they use nice words, they go to Bible study, they say all the things that they love God. And yet in private, they have a darkness. They do not follow God. It's a total contrast to their character. And when no one's looking, they don't really love God. And then when it finally comes out, people say, oh, I thought they were a really good person there and they really love God. How'd they go bad? They didn't go bad. They were always bad. Now they're just consistent. What they used to do in darkness, they now do in the light of day. Judas is that guy. If you walked into this room, we would probably make judgments all over the place. We would say, well, Mary's a sinful woman and Judas is a godly man because Mary has her hair down and, oh, you just shouldn't do that. And, and Judas is rebuking her and talking about feeding the poor. Oh, look how godly Judas is. But it's not like that. On the outside, Judas looks godly, but we cannot be so quick to judge. And 1 Samuel 16, 7 reminds us, the Lord does not look at the things a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Some people's protected inner identity may not be about love for God at all, but about lifting themselves up. And I love Jesus here because Jesus speaks up for Mary. Mary doesn't speak up for herself. Verse 8, Jesus goes, leave her alone. He steps right into it. And he's like, let's go, Judas. I can take you. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, Jesus, as a rabbi, he's referring to Deuteronomy 15.11, that the poor would always be there. And God's people are to try and help legitimate needs. Legitimate needs. Politicians step up, and they're always like, I'm going to give everyone a bed and a meal and a 401k, and, a, and today, apparently, a house as well. You know, no, they won't. And they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. God knows the poor will always be here. In a fallen, sinful world, it will never look like heaven no matter how much we spend. That doesn't mean we don't help. It doesn't mean we don't reach into people's lives and try and give them some dignity and hope. But it does mean we cannot be naive. Jesus says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. He is about to die. After this, there's going to be no opportunity to have a party with Jesus and spend some time with him being present. So the opportunity at this moment could be passed by if Mary doesn't actually seize it. Opportunities in life for you and I, we must avail ourselves of those when God puts those in front of us. This is Mary's chance to anoint Jesus. I mean, if, if God gives you a chance to do something, he calls you, step into it, do it. Mary is preparing Jesus for his burial, whether she knows it or not. I think, in my opinion personally, in Scripture, I think Mary and John were the two people who loved Jesus the most while he lived. Verse 9, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
Now, resurrection, that's always going to get a crowd, right? It's like David Blaine does a, a trick in the middle of Central Park. Everybody shows up because he could die. You know, like, oh, I want to see that happen. So everybody shows up. Lazarus' claim to fame is that he is simply breathing. If he was alive today, he'd be on like CNN and Fox News and, and Oprah. And everybody want to poke him, prod him and figure it out. He's a regular guy who becomes a hero. Because everybody's experienced death and everybody wants answers to the question, well, was there a white light? Was there torment? Was your, were you floating above your body? What did you see? How did you feel? Poke, poke, poke. That's what everybody wants to do. He gets to tell them, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It is all about Jesus. Jesus calls me out of my grave and you should love and you should follow him too. Because that's the point. Because when we share our story with people about what God has simply done in us, it brings great and amazing change in people. People will listen to you. Sometimes I get in conversations with people. And, and so, I, you know, and they have all these issues in their lives. So I go, well, let's talk about this. And let's talk about Jesus in the midst of this. And they're like, well, what do you do? And half the time I don't want to say I'm a pastor because I'm paid to say the thing I'm supposed to say, even though I totally believe it. I, I, I own half a computer company. And half the time I'm just tempted to say, oh, I own half a computer company because it sometimes seems like it lends me more credibility. You guys, you, your story, the honesty of who you are can make a gigantic difference in people's lives just by being honest. I am glad Lazarus didn't sign a book deal or sign away the movie rights. You know, he's just a normal guy that says, I was dead and I stunketh and Jesus brought me back. So give yourself to Jesus and get on with your life because that's the point. Howard Hendricks, he's an old Bible scholar, and he jokes about this. He says, me, I'm paid to be good. The people in my church are just good. For nothing. <laughs> for you, you should be good just because you simply love Jesus. And when you are, it is wonderful. And it is powerful when you share that into somebody else's life. And so Lazarus was doing this. And people at the temple, they didn't like it. Verse 10 says, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. They already want to kill Jesus. Now they want... I think this is totally funny. Because Lazarus was just dead and Jesus brought him back. And what, what do we do? Let's kill him again. You know, let's, let's put him back in there. It's like a B-horror movie. They keep killing him. And Jesus keeps, come back. They'd be like, dead, come back. You know, they, the crowds get bigger. And the chief priests are going, ah, kill him again. I just think it'd be totally, I think Lazarus would be like, stop it already. It's hard to get that stinketh off my skin. <laughs> so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So there are lots of people hearing Lazarus' story. And Lazarus just keeps saying, Jesus. Jesus. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians one thirty one that if we're going to boast, you boast in the Lord. We talk about how great and good he is. That all the good in our lives is Jesus and all the bad is us. They want to kill Lazarus because he's evidence. And we want to get rid of the evidence of who Jesus was. Uh, Romans one eighteen talks about people who try to suppress the truth. The, the idea behind the word suppress the truth, it's like when you try and sneak candy into the movie theater. You know, because you don't want to pay 20 bucks for a Snickers or 30 bucks for a bottle of water. So you, you, you pack them in your pockets and your pants don't sit right. Or if your wife goes with you, all of your friends shove all their stuff in her purse that weighs 500 pounds. Is that just me? No? Okay. Just, just check it. That, that's the idea. But, you know, it's still there. It's like, why is your purse this big? I don't know. You know? <laughs> Suppressing the truth. You're trying to hide it, but everybody knows what's actually there. And the guys that take your tickets don't know when your pockets are like this, that, you know, you don't have candy shoved in them. They just laugh because it's going to be melted by the time you pull it back out of your pocket. These, these religious leaders, they know what has happened. They know that Jesus claimed to be the one true God, that he claimed to be the Redeemer, the Messiah, the hope for a broken world, that salvation was in him alone. And he demonstrated it by healing and then by feeding people and then by raising Lazarus from the dead. But some people despise the truth because for some people the truth is a declaration of war. When you show up and, and you go, you know what, 
mankind's evil. We just look around what we do to each other. People go, oh, I don't like that. You can't save yourself. You know, Jesus is the only way to salvation. We're like, well, let's fight about that. You know, you're not supposed to do what you want. We're supposed to do what Jesus calls us to do. Well, we really hate that. I think the problem is not so much this lack of information or evidence, but lack of love for the truth and lack of love for Jesus. I think that's what is going on here. Jesus says he is God. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And they go, well, let's kill Lazarus. That's, that's the answer right there. And they, and they want to kill Jesus as well. So Easter was about last week. You know, they want to kill Jesus. And they should have realized how that was going to turn out based upon what happened to Lazarus, right? You know, oh, let's kill him. Oh, he came back. Oh, what are we going to do with that? I thought that was funny. Okay, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Take a sidetrack with me right here, okay? Just, just go with me with and I'm going to pull this thing together. Uh, olfactory senses, our, our sense of smell, <clears throat> are not as developed in human beings as they are in other animals, but they're extremely important. There have been studies that actually link memory decline to losing your sense of smell. There are thousands of smells that we come across every single day just in Santa Maria. You drive down Broadway and there's smells ranging from the Mexican food place to broccoli. And we know what that smells like. It rhymes with nut, right? You have tri-tip barbecues. You have the smells from Waller Park and the trees. So again, scientists have shown strong correlations between smell and memory. There are certain smells that remind us of certain things. When I was growing up as a little kid, uh, out down Bed Arabia, there's this thing called the sugar beet factory. Okay, uh, if you're newer to Santa Maria, lucky you. Okay, the sugar beet factory, that thing would fire up and the whole town would just stink. Now, when I was about four or five years old, when I was about four or five years old, I'm at my grandma's house. She lives in Old Orchid. And we go out there, and I, and I hate mashed potatoes and peas and broccoli and really vegetables altogether. So I, and so I drink my milk. I take all my mashed potatoes, my peas, and, I, and my cauliflower and broccoli, and I shove it all in my cup, and I put my napkin on top, and I say, Grandma, I don't want my milk. And my grandma goes, Wow, that's pretty solid. You know, it's like a like a brick in a cup. You know, so she pulls off the top and she goes, uh, "Eat it." You know what it smelled like? Sugar beet factory. Everything at time as a kid when that thing fired up. You know what I thought about? My grandma and how mean she was. That's what I thought. About. When I when I was a little kid, my I loved my dad, and my dad would take my brother and I fishing a lot. So one time we're out at Port San Luis, and I, I'm not, I don't have the patience for fishing. So, but we'd be out at Port San Luis, and I'd always be goofing around and stuff. And so I'm at Port San Luis, and I'm fishing down below, and I, and I back up, and I, and I fall off the pier. Lose my pole. Yeah, it's my life. Okay. <laughs> fall off the pier. And I'm like, I'm, I must be way out there. And, and my dad, he's a great dad, not pay attention at all. And he's talking to some guy on the pier, and, da, 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 and, this, and this guy on the pier goes, hey, look at that kid out in the water. <laughs> my dad goes, that's my kid. <laughs> So he dives in and pulls me out, and I'm like, I was swimming great, wasn't I, Dad? You know, I'm a little kid. So we're out fishing one time again, and I fall in. Water's like a magnet to me or something. I just fall in, and I lose my pole again. And so my dad's driving me home, and he, I think he feels sorry. So we stop at a garage sale because he's a big spender. And so we stop at a garage sale, and he goes, I'll get you anything you want at this garage sale. And I'm all, so I go to this garage sale, and I, and I find this gas mask. It's the coolest thing in the world. And so I, it's like... If you play video games, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like one of those. It's like the evil warrior you got to kill. You know, so I got one of these things. And it's old and it's rubber. You know what it smells like inside? Skunks. Old rubber smells like skunks. So every, so now today, because I didn't spend a lot of time with my dad growing up. So now today when I smell skunks, I go, how's my dad? You know. <laughs> I think about my dad. Last year for his birthday, I bought him this birthday card and it had a skunk on the front and, it said, and I wrote, thinking of you. you know? <laughs> and he knows because I, I shared the story with him. You know, so it's great. But, but that's the sense of smell. It brings back memories. Now look at verse 7. 
Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, this is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. In a culture where bathing is not done regularly, and when this undiluted perfume is poured on Jesus, his beard, his hair, his feet soaks into his skin, think about this. What do you think Jesus smelled all week, the last week of his life? Mary's gift. Jesus rides into a town on the donkey, on this donkey, and the wind blows just right. What do you think the crowd smells? Mary's gift. John reclines at the table, leans on his best friend. Jesus, what does he smell? Mary's gift. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. What does he smell as he does? Mary's gift. That he ridiculed. The Jews mock him. They get in his face. What did they smell? Mary's gift. The Roman soldiers strip him of his robe and they beat him. And what did they smell? Mary's gift. Jesus hangs on a cross, and if the wind catches just right, what do the soldiers get a whiff of? Mary's gift. Scripture tells us that there's a group of women at the cross. I think Mary's actually one of those. And she remembers her gift again and again as she sits there and watches Jesus die, his perfect life being punished in her place, the feet that she anointed with, her, with this perfume and her hair pierced for her transgressions. And Jesus hangs there and he breathes his final breath. And what does she smell? Her gift, her gift. This perfume for the day of my burial. I think Jesus gained much encouragement because of that smell in his final moments. When Jesus is pulled off of the cross, what did they smell? Mary's gift. In the marketplaces where the apostles and, and you know, Mary you know, are supposed to be in their lives, from time to time you'd get this air that blows through and it would waft across this thing and you would get a smell from time to time of this smell. And what would it remind them of? Their purpose and their mission. Everything that God has given to us is a gift that should remind us of who God is, that He is real, that He is loving, that He is powerful, that He is very active, that He is very present in our lives. We need to learn how to be people who realize that God speaks to us through our senses. It's why we can smell and taste and see and touch. It's why we can do those things. Every husband knows the smell of his wife. Women smell good, okay? Most women smell good. Women smell good, okay? When my wife goes to visit her family and I don't go with her, I will actually sleep on her pillow because, oh, yeah, okay, and because it smells like her, and I love that smell, okay? So when she comes home, she sleeps on her pillow, and she goes, oh! <laughs> because men have a smell, too. It's just not, <laughs> it's not as pleasant, right? But parents who have a newborn baby, there's a newborn baby smell. They, they smell a certain way. Mikey got a puppy this week, and his puppies have a puppy smell. It's like, woo, it's rank, but they have a puppy smell. It's, you know, spring and flowers and fresh air and meals and pots of tea and good coffee and broken cinnamon sticks and fresh-cut grass and crashing waves at the beach. All smells that should remind us of God's gracious gifts to you and I. Everything, a feast for our senses. All these things should remind us that Christ gave his life for you and I. So this week, part of what I want you to do is I want you to use your senses. And every good smell <laughs> that you run across, I want you to remember Jesus and his gift and also how Mary gave back to Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14-16 says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So to some, we are probably even the smell of death. 
but to others, we are the smell and the fragrance of life. We are to be those in our lives who uncork our life undiluted so the world knows the fragrance and the goodness of who Christ is. Our attempt is to be a fragrant and pleasing aroma to God. When Mary spreads and opens her gifts, it it goes to the entire house. We, as the children of God, the fragrance should spread to the entire earth. The sweet scent of Christ and His love known to the entire world by how we live. Now, the question for you and I is, what do we smell like? What do we smell like? Uh, If you are not a believer this morning, you cannot smell like Christ no matter how much you want to. And so you should give your life to Jesus. If you are a believer, that does not mean that you smell like Christ. You may smell like broccoli. Okay? So as believers, we must then align ourselves with Christ and spread the knowledge of Him by how we live. Then we are a fragrant aroma to who God is. It's one of the reasons, again, every week we come to communion. Because communion is so multifaceted. It reminds us of so many things. And today, as you take communion and you break that cracker that reminds you of Christ's body, which was broken for you, and you dip in the blood, or I mean, dip in the wine or the grape juice, which is his blood that was shed for you and I, it should remind us also of how we are to be a pleasing aroma to the world around us because he has redeemed us so we can be that again. So you worship God through communion. You're going to worship God through prayer. If you are not a believer and you want to know who Jesus Christ is, there'll be some elders and deacons in the back of the room on both sides, and you can go and pray with them and they can introduce you to Christ and maybe you can learn to be a pleasing aroma. If you are a believer and you smell like broccoli, you should go and pray with one of them. And hopefully we can get a plan to set you on a course in your life so you are a pleasing aroma to God. The band's going to come back up. They're going to do a couple songs. And as they do, what these songs hopefully give you a chance to do is reflect a little bit on what God is calling you to do, who He is calling you to be, that pleasing aroma. So take a moment as they do that. We're going to worship God through giving. There's an offering box on the sidewall in the back of the room. You can also give online if you want to. And we give because God gave so much to you and I. And lastly, we're going to worship God through fellowship. Where hopefully you guys will get together and meet and spur each other on towards goodness so the whole world can know the fragrance of who Christ is. Not just the people within these walls, but everywhere can know the fragrance of Christ by how we live. So, are you with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God who takes broken people and puts us back together and then enables us to smell like you. God, I ask that in all of the ways where everybody is so different, whether we are active or contemplative or the strong silent type or whatever it is, you would enable the methods of our lives to worship you and you would find great honor by our love for you. God, I ask that you would teach us truly to be your children, that you would teach us when we are not very pleasant in our aroma, and how to set our course in the way that the world knows you by what we portray. Help us to truly be your people, to live on mission for you. Amen.